So while you're standing, I'm going to invite you to open up your Bibles to the book of Genesis, chapter 41. And while you're doing that, once again, um, welcome on behalf of our pastors here. If you're new here, my name is Ezekiel Velez, together with my beautiful wife, our first lady, Tanya, if you could raise your hand. We have the great honor and, and privilege that God has called us to lead this amazing church. We planted this church nearly 14 years ago, and um, the journey has been um, beautiful and difficult, all of it wrapped in one, but we have seen the favor of God. And so I thank God for all of your lives too. Um, many of you are very dear to us on personal levels. You have become more than just people we go to church with, but you have become family. And, um, and that is God's desire when we come into the body of Christ. Not that we just go to church with people, but that by the Spirit, we're united in a way that we become real family. And I pray that that is happening for you. And so for the past several weeks, we've been in the book of Genesis, and we've been focusing uh, or zooming in on the person, the character of Joseph. And to do that, we have themed and framed a, a teaching series called Dreamer a journey into favor with God. And so the, the heart of this series is to talk about what, what does it mean to have favor with God? Um, when you first hear that, it gives the impression, oh, favor with God, uh, it just paints this picture of like spiritual butterflies all around me uh, and, and, and everything just going swell and all things working out and all things lining up and everyone's for you, no one is against you. And you know, everything you touch is blessed, everywhere you step is blessed. And so I think when we hear the word favor, those are some of the images that come to mind. You know, that every door is opened and, and, you're, and, you're, and you're stepping into everything that you want and every prayer is coming true. But the reason why we decided to look at Joseph because what we do know is this truth. Joseph's life is marked by favor with God. Without a doubt, that's what we've learned. Without a doubt. We're, in, the, in the chapters that we read, 37, uh, 39, it says, and God was with Joseph. And, 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 and we see the favor. However, when we look at the actuality of his life, it's met with struggle and met with, look, many unfavorable positions. So what is that telling us about favor then? Well, his life is supposed to show us, yes, God is with us, his favor is being released, but it might not be according to the picture that we have created of what favor is. So today I wanna tell you, I don't have to know you to tell you that you are favored by God. You are favored by God, and God's favor is with you. The key is, can you be a dreamer like Joseph that knows how to interpret what God is doing in his life and still see the favor? How are we, how are you interpreting what you're passing through right now? And if we don't learn what favor is, and look, we misinterpret the dream and journey that we are on. We can fail to see that God is with us and that his favor is there. So how many dreamers do I have in the building? My prayer today is that you would 
be able to interpret what God has you journeying through and still see him. Amen. All right, so Genesis chapter 30, I'm sorry, 41, verse, we're going to begin at verse 53, and we're going to read down to verse 57. If you do not have it, our screen should have it for you. There we go. Uh, every text that I read today, just so that you know, will be read in the New International Version, NIV translation, okay? With the exception of the very last passage I read today. Oh, no, it's still going to be there. Okay, just making sure. All right. Beginning at verse 53, we read this name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and the church says, Amen. Amen. All right. The seven years of abundance in Egypt came to an end, and the seven years of famine began, look, just as Joseph had said. There was a famine in all the other lands, but in the whole land of Egypt, look, there was food when all of Egypt began to feel the famine. The people cried to Pharaoh for food. Then Pharaoh told all the Egyptians, go to Joseph and do what he tells you. Wow. Verse 56. When the famine had spread over the whole country, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold grain to Egyptians for the famine was severe throughout Egypt. And all the world came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe everywhere. Amen, amen. God bless you guys, you may be seated. I'm gonna to preach to you today from uh, this theme to give us guidance and focus. I wanna preach from this theme, preserving God's favor, amen. I'm gonna ask you just to share that title with your neighbor. With your neighbor. Tell them, preserving God's favor. And so here we are in Genesis chapter 41. And for those of you who have been joining us for the past two weeks, uh, we've, we began focusing on the life of Joseph. And Joseph's focus uh, begins in Genesis chapter 37. Um, and then in chapter 38, uh, there's this side story that I highlighted last week, and I told you to hold that thought in chapter 38, and then I never uh, brought us into clarity about that. But Genesis chapter 38, if you noticed or if you looked in your Bible at that time that I mentioned to you, uh, it's this story that involves Joseph's family member, his brother Judah becomes the highlight, and Joseph is not even mentioned throughout the entire chapter. And it's really kind of this odd story. It kind of makes you feel a little, uh, when you read it. But many times you ask, we ask the question, why is it even there? Because it, has, it seems like it has nothing to do with Joseph. Why? Because in chapter 37, the highlight goes on Joseph. We learned that Joseph is uh, Israel's 11th son. And the father, Israel, loves him. And he demonstrates that love publicly you could say, to the world, and in the midst of his other brothers, and he highlights this love by giving him a special coat, this long-sleeved, decorated, multi-layered coat, and this is where we get, and we read in our Bibles, this coat of many colors. Uh, that coat of many colors has become the backdrop of the graphic design of this series, and so it just represents that multi-colored uh, love from his father displayed on him. 
And so his brothers are actually envious, we learn, of Joseph because of the love that is being given from their father to him. It also gets to the point where we learn that in chapter 37 that Joseph starts having these dreams. And these dreams are conveying that his brothers, and even a second dream kind of conveys that his parents will someday come and bow before him. And he becomes the star of the dream. He becomes the highlight of the dream. He is the one that is lifted up, and all of his family is now here bowing at him. And now the family doesn't like this. The brothers don't take this well. And we also learned that also culturally, this doesn't work with uh, how life is lived at this time. We learned about the blessing, and we learned about the firstborn inheritance, and we learned about a birthright that begins, look, with the oldest son. And the reason why is because the oldest son will assume the most responsibility for the mother, for the sisters, for the rest of the family. Look, when dad passes away, and so in this culture and in this time, the blessing, the resources, everything that the wealth and the riches that the father has, at the time when he's approaching death, look, he will pronounce blessing and he will literally give out inheritances, look, starting with the oldest to the youngest. How, what order, what number order is Joseph in terms of He's number 11. He's far down on the list. So the way this would work in their family is Joseph, his brothers would never come down and bow the knee and ask anything of him. They, none, none of these brothers would ever come and be in need of Joseph. The way how this culture works, works, Joseph will be bowing the knee to his brothers in the time of need. And it's not an arrogance. It's not even, oh, that's a bad thing. It's just, look, it's just the order. But he has these dreams and... Gets to the point that his brothers hate him even more. Even more they hate him because of his dreams. And so his father would send him out to check on his brothers. And when his brothers see him, they say, oh, here comes the dreamer. Here comes the dreamer. It gets to the point that his brothers plan to kill him. One of his brothers spares him and says, no, you know what? Let's not kill him. He had a plan to rescue him. But then one of the other brothers says, you know what? We can sell him. And if we sell him, then we can make a profit off of him. And this is what they do. They sell Joseph. And in selling Joseph, Joseph ends up as a slave in Egypt. And his father Israel is told by his brothers that a wild beast from the field killed him. It's not true. His death in the eyes of his father comes really at the hands of his brothers. And so in Israel's heart, his son Joseph is dead. And and Israel says, I'm going to die. I'm going to go to the grave mourning for my son. And so in Genesis chapter 38 is where this strange story comes in. And this is what, in in chapter 38, it's about an older brother of Joseph's named Judah. And I'm just going to tell you this. I'm going to invite you to go read it. In that chapter, Judah ends up going to pay to sleep with a prostitute. And in the end, he realizes that he slept with his daughter-in-law. What a scandal. And then we get in chapter 39, and it starts with Joseph again. You're like, well, why is that in there? So I invite you to go read it. 
But what do we learn in chapter 39? We learn this about Joseph. Joseph is the younger son, and many people have said that Joseph was this immature kid, and he was just speaking his dreams, and that just shows revelation of his immaturity. But we're trying to, or I'm, what I'm trying to show is that he's not as immature as we think he is. Because when he gets into Egypt as a slave, he begins working and he's functioning. He doesn't shut down. He doesn't disconnect because he's in an unfavorable place. And he's in the house of the captain of the guard named Potiphar. And Potiphar's wife notices this 17-year-old, young, handsome-built kid. And now, look, she wants to sleep with him. But he proposes in his heart that, he, that, 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 that the captain of the guard, his, his master, has left everything in, you know, under the control of him in his home. He will not, look, sin against his master because he's not going to sin against God. So look, chapter 39, you have a young man who is, look, honoring God. And not giving in and yielding in, look, to a lustful opportunity presented to him. And in chapter 37, that is contrasted with an older brother who should have wisdom, who is paying to be with a prostitute, who ends up being. So look at the contrast. Chapter 37 and, or chapter, yeah, chapter 30, 38. The older brother who should know better or make better choices and look at immature Joseph, or is he? Or is he God-honoring? Is he God-fearing? So it's pretty awesome when you see the design of why that is in there, to see the contrast of a young man, look, who is going to choose not to sin against God. So what ends up happening is that Joseph refuses to give in to Potiphar's wife's invitation. And it gets to the point where one day there's no one in the house and she grabs him and she tells him to be with her. And at that point, Joseph knows he can't just sit there. He can't just say, oh, I can't. He, he has to flee. And when he flees, his garment is left in her hand. And then she starts screaming. And then all the servants come in. And then she tells them that, you know, this slave that her, 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 that, that, that her husband brought in has tried to make a mockery of us. And he tried to rape me. And then after that, Potiphar comes. And then she tells him the same thing. And she accuses Joseph of rape. And so what ends up happening is that now Potiphar is look, forced to throw Joseph into the prison that is held in his place. And how did we end off last week? Well, we ended off last week, if you turn back to Genesis 39, the last chapters is that, guess what happens when Joseph is in prison? If you look in your Bibles, uh, verse 22 and 23 tell us this, that the warden of the prison it says he, he, he put Joseph in charge of all the dealings even there. So look, the same thing that happened in Potiphar's house, when Potiphar gave Joseph this responsibility and put him in charge of managing, even when Joseph is now put into prison, he's still granted with this favor, and he's put in charge again. Now, what did we learn last week? Well, we learned a couple of things last week, and I'll just share them with you quickly. One is that favor flows from being functional, and, and that's important to see in Joseph's life. As we're talking about the favor of God over him, Joseph, look, in these undesirable positions, still functioned. He didn't shut down, and so favor was flowing from him being functional. And look, faithfulness to men begins with faithfulness for God. 
If we find ourselves to be so unfaithful with relationships that matter to us, the question or what we have to start to do is look at how we are connected to God. And it's very possible when we examine ourselves that my lack of faithfulness to people that are dear to me is because I'm actually, look, not committed to God. And that's what Joseph said. Look, I'm not going to sin against Potiphar or I'm not going to do that to Potiphar. Why? Because his faithfulness was beginning at God. So we learned that last week. And then we learned this also, and this is how we concluded, that what we flee from reveals what we're faithful to. But also what we sit with also will reveal what we're actually faithful to. And so the chapter ends with Joseph being in charge of all the dealings. Now he's in charge of the inmates. I mean, this guy went in as an inmate, and now all of a sudden he's got the keys and he's got responsibility. Maybe he's telling guys, all right, wake up, shower time, or, you know, it's time to eat. And he's a prisoner, but the warden trusts him to the point that he puts him in charge of the prison. So what do we see continue in Joseph's life? He's still functional. He's still functional in an unfavorable place. Go back for last week. We really talked about that. And so how do we get from him being in charge and functional in Genesis chapter 39? How did we get all the way to Genesis 41? And now Pharaoh is sending people and asking Joseph what to do. Look, how do we go to Pharaoh, who's the king, telling everyone, go to Joseph. He'll tell you what needs to be done. Last we left off, he was in prison. So we have to bridge that gap. What happened in that prison? So in that prison, it tells us this, that some time had passed, and uh, two new prisoners had come into town. And the two prisoners are a cupbearer and a baker. Say that with me, cupbearer and a baker. And so when you begin reading Genesis chapter 40, it tells us this, that Pharaoh had got upset with the cupbearer and that baker, and what Pharaoh did to them because he was upset, they did something that angered him. I don't know what it was, but clearly it had to do with maybe his breakfast, lunch, or dinner. And so you don't play with the king's food, apparently. And so the cupbearer and the baker, maybe he toasted the bread too much, maybe, I don't know, what he did with the drink he was supposed to have. We don't know, but all we know is that Pharaoh is angered, and then he throws the cupbearer and the baker in prison with Joseph. Now, Joseph is in charge of the prison. And so what ends up happening, it tells us this in verse 6 of Genesis 40. When Joseph came to them the next morning, he saw that they were dejected. So he asked Pharaoh's officials who were in custody uh, with him in his master's house, why do you look so sad today? So look what happens. Joseph notices that these two men are dejected, that they're sad, and then he's trying to figure out what's wrong with them. Well, what do we learn? We learn that both of the men have dreams, but they do not know what the dreams mean. There's no one, they, they, they have these dreams simultaneously, but they don't know what the dreams mean. Now, here's another thing I want us to look at with Joseph here. 
Because if we read really quickly, we just right away get into the dreaming part. And we get into the great, oh, Joseph's got favor of his life. He's got the gift of interpreting dreams. And we're going to see that God does give him an understanding of what these dreams mean. But I want us to see something about Joseph. I want us to see something about Joseph, him as a dreamer. We know he's a dreamer. But I want us to highlight something about Joseph that we tend to skip over when we just read. Look, Joseph is a dreamer. And Joseph is in a prison. It's an undesirable place. It's not where he wants to be. But he's working. But look at this. He's a dreamer, right? He has vision of God on the inside of him. His life is not matching up with that. I mean, he could really be off in that corner crying. He could really be pounding his fist angry at God. He could be really just being so resentful. And all he's doing is talking about his brothers. He could be crying, weeping. Look, the rest of his life, he could be just like his father and saying, I'm going to mourn until I die. But what do we notice about Joseph, the dreamer? Dreamers are still in touch with reality. Dreamers are still in touch with reality. What do I mean? Now, Joseph could be in two extremes right now. He could be in that prison saying, I'm a dreamer. God has a plan for me. My brothers are going to bow down one day. God's going to do it. I'm going to be at the top one day. Don't worry. I believe what God. And look, he could be doing that to the point that he doesn't see no one else in the prison with him. Or he could have the other extreme. Why did God give me this dream? Why did my brothers do this to me? Look, so he could be dysfunctional. Look, he could be unuseful because he's in mourning. Or he can also be, look, unfunctional because he's always dreaming. You see those two extremes that he can be in. And this happens to us. We're either disconnected, we shut down, and we mourn about everything that has taken place in our life that is unwanted, or we either have so much vision, we have so much dream, we feel so called by God that we're like, God this and God that. And look, we are no longer in touch with people's reality around us. And look... It could get to the point that you become so spiritual, you're of, good, no, you're of no good use to anyone else's reality. Why do I bring that up? Because Joseph could either be in that cloud with God or in the corner of the morning. But look, he notices and he sees that there are two men sad. And he pauses. He has responsibilities. He's calling, you know, inmates over here, calling inmates over there, trying to move them on the line, get them in their cell, get them out of their cell, give them some sloppy joe. I don't know, right? He could, he could be overwhelmed with responsibility. He could be in the dream with God, or he could be over in the corner with misery. But look, him as a dreamer, he's still in touch with the reality of others. And this is powerful. This is powerful. For anyone who's a visionary, raise your hand if you believe you're a visionary. Raise your hand if you believe that you're a dreamer. Raise your hand if you believe that you feel God called you. Maybe if you don't know, but you feel that there's a calling. Let me tell you this. You are, it is good for you still to be in touch with reality. With reality. Don't be so vision-driven that you cannot see the people that are in front of you. Because what we talked about last week is this. God will often reveal this magnificent vision and he leaves out the details, and sometimes now you're trying to live life floating to that picture, not realizing that, look, there's a reality that you have to live, and God wants to be with you, give you favor in the reality of the life that you will live so that, look, that vision can come into life. 
So dreamers, you still have to be in touch with reality. Because look, him being in touch with the reality of these men's, look, just sad emotion. How many of us have walked into church, I mean, or, or just running through life with this vision, and we're walking by people who are sad, walking people who are downcast, walking, you know, like, sometimes we could come in here like, oh, I got to do this when I get here. For those that are serving our ministry, I know what it is to come in here like, I got to go do this, and I got to go do that, and start just walking by people and not realizing that there are people who are sitting there dejected. But what God wanted you to do was to see them so, look, you can come and sit with them. And, look, God can. This is to the point that God's not just moving in preachers on stage and he's not just moving through singers on stage. God wants to come into the space, but we have to be in touch with reality still. So take a picture, write it down. You as a dreamer still need to be in touch with reality because reality is where God wants to come into. Amen? And so what happens? He, he, he comes to him and says, why do you look so sad in verse 7? And then in verse 8, look what happens. We both had dreams, they answered, but there was no one to interpret them. Then Joseph said to them, now look what Joseph says. So he's in tune with reality that they're sad. He can see their physical uh, demeanor. He could see that their character, uh, right now they feel downcast. And so he's in touch with reality, but look what he says here. Um, but there is no one to interpret them. Then Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God. Tell me your dreams. So look at this. He's in touch with reality. Dreamers are in touch with reality. But dreamers are also in tune with God. Do you see that? He's able to see them because he's not so vision driven that he misses them. But when he does see them, he is in touch with the reality that God is God exists too. And so Joseph becomes the hinge piece between their reality of sadness and a truth about God. And now Joseph becomes the piece that is going to bring those two together. And he says, don't interpretations belong to God. So look, Joseph's in his reality. He's touching the prison. He's touching the inmates. But he still has this connection to God. He says, do not the interpretations belong to God. So you as a dreamer, you do have to be in tune with God. You have to be in touch with reality, but also we have to live being in tune with God. And what does that mean to be in tune with God? It means to be in tune with God, praise God. <laughs> I didn't write nothing out more. Uh, <laughs> but to be connected to the heart of God you're only in tune with God when, look, when we, we sang, we surrender, we surrender. That, that's not, to surrender to God is not just singing a song, but it's our mind, our being is, is surrendered. Look and, look, and we're willing to lean into God as we try to, look, interpret our life. And so he knows they had a dream that they don't understand and it's troubled them, but he knows, look, that interpretations, look, the understanding of what is happening that is not in your in our possession look that 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 interpretation is in god and so he invites them to lean into god for this and so what happens so the cupbearer is going to tell joseph his dream first 
And so what is the cupbearer's dream? The cupbearer has a dream of a, of, a, of a vine that has three branches, and the branches blossom with cluster of grapes. And then in his dream, the cupbearer has the cup that he would serve Pharaoh with, and he takes the grapes and the clusters, and look, he squeezes them in his dream. He squeezes them into the cup, and in his dream, it ends with him giving that cup to Pharaoh. And then Joseph tells him this. He says, I'm going to tell you what your dream means. He says, the dream means that within three days that Pharaoh is going to lift up your head and restore you to your position. The, you squeezing the grapes into the cup and putting it in, in your hand, this is what the dream means. That in three days, he's going to restore you to your position. And so after this, Joseph tells the cupbearer, and this is important too. Look at another important detail. Because we're talking about someone that has the favor of God, and it, it might make you seem that, you know, every day Joseph is waking up, and he's like, well, this is just swell, and I'm just so glad that I'm here right now. He's, he's not complaining to the point that he's of no use, but there's a reality that he is experiencing, and, 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 and verse 14 shows this. Look what he tells the cupbearer, he says, but when all goes well with you, because in three days you're going to get restored, within three days you're going to get restored to your position before Pharaoh, look what he tells him. But when all goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. So this reveals his heart. It's not a place that he wants to be in, but he is still working with integrity. He is still taking care of his responsibility. And so this is just more reinforcement to us. We read in Colossians, do everything as you're doing it unto the Lord, even when you're in that unfavorable place. I mean, many of us could just apply this to our work right now, where God has us. And so if we really want to be the dreamer, if we really want to be the visionary that God called us to be, then we have to be able to function with integrity in the place that he has us. I said this last week. Please do not steal the paper clips from the office just because you no longer are satisfied with the job. But I'm a dreamer and God's given me vision. But we're always late. Our eyes are closed to the people around us. And look, we're missing the God opportunity that God maybe has for us. So this text here reveals to us Joseph's heart. It, and now it's zooming into what Joseph is really thinking because it's good for us to read this and say, what is going on with Joseph? What's in his mind? What's in his heart? And Joseph reveals, he says, hey, when you get out of here, mention me to the Pharaoh. He says, I was forcefully carried off from the land of the Hebrews, and even here I have done nothing to deserve being put in prison. And so you know what the baker, that, he, that's what he says to the cupbearer. The baker's off over there. He's like, wow. He just told him that in three days, he's going to be restored to the Pharaoh. So we, we literally read that the baker, because of the good interpretation that Joseph gave to the cupbearer, he says, okay, I'm going to tell you my dream. And so the baker says, hey, I had a, this dream. He said, and, and on my head, I had uh, three baskets on my head filled with bread, and the top basket was, was filled with all kinds of these baked goods, and there was these awesome, cute little birds coming and dining and eating. What does my dream mean, Joseph? And Joseph says, well, the same. Within three days, um, your head will be 
not restored, <laughs> but your head will be lifted and your body impaled on a pole and the birds are gonna come and eat the flesh off of your carcass. Okay. Similar dreams. One has three branches, one has three baskets. One means one will be restored to his position, the other means Pharaoh is going to have his head. And so what ends up happening? In time, uh, we learn that Pharaoh has a, a birthday party coming up. And in Genesis 40, it says, Now the third day was Pharaoh's birthday, and he gave a feast for all his officials. He lifted up the heads of the chief cupbearer and the chief baker in the presence of all his officials. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position so that he once again put the cup into Pharaoh's hand. But he impaled the chief baker just as Joseph had said to them in his interpretation. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. Ah, cupbearer. The one thing Joseph told him to do, when you get restored within these three days and you get in the presence of Pharaoh, please tell Pharaoh that I was dragged here into Egypt. I'm a Hebrew. I don't belong here. And the same is true in this prison. Please let the Pharaoh know. And so he's restored, and Pharaoh right there in front of everyone restores him to his position. The baker, you know what happens to him. But the chapter ends with the cupbearer forgetting him. So look at this. We're, we're, again, we're talking about Joseph, who his life is marked by the favor of God, and the cupbearer forgets him? Let's just start defining, let's just adding to our definition of favor with God. This, this should start to help reshape the picture of what it means to be in favor with God. Listen, you can have favor with God and people will still forget you. Okay? People will forget you. Look, people who you've helped, people who you noticed when they were sad, people who you took time to sit with and listen to them and try to be the branch, or I mean, try to be the bridge for, for God and them to help them interpret. Maybe a dream or maybe interpret what's going on in their life and you sit with them and you share God's wisdom and you try to help them make sense of what God's doing in their life. And they're like, wow, that's so great. Thank you so much. And then, you know, your prayers are that this person will remember you in your time of need, remember you during your time of sadness. And what happens? People forget. And I know what it feels like when people forget. It doesn't feel good. <laughs> what comes right away into our head, how, after all I've given, after all the time I've separated, my heart was with them. I really prayed with them. I really prayed for them. I fasted for them. I gave them my time. How in the world do they forget me now? And what could happen is we then interpret people forgetting that that means God doesn't see us. So here's an important thing for, for dreamers to understand is this. People forgetting is not God forgetting. Okay? And it might be simple, but you know what? Many of us are suffering with this right now, that the absence of people uh, coming into our life when we expect them to be there is creating a different picture for us. 
and you thought someone should have called you because of what happened to you and they didn't call you. You thought someone should have responded in a certain way and they didn't respond how you expected them to respond. You're going through your own hell and the people who you thought were going to respond are not there. We tend to interpret that as then where's God? And so what do we learn from this story is this, that yes, the cupbearer does forget him. He doesn't actually remember him two years later. Joseph spends two years working with the inmates, serving the sloppy joke, cleaning up cells, keeping them in order. Without a word from any official or the pharaoh to send for him. Two years go by. But what the story is showing us, sure, the cupbearer forgot, but God did not forget. So write that one down, take a picture. People forgetting is not God forgetting. Now what's interesting is that two years later, the cupbearer is going to remember, and he's going to realize, he's going to say, oh my goodness. He's going to say, I can't believe I forgot and, and then he's going to bring Joseph's name to the Pharaoh. What can we learn in that? Sometimes when people forget us now, we, count, we cut them off forever. It's like, oh, you, you didn't call me when I needed you to call me, <laughs> so therefore I'm cutting you off. This is our nature. Oh, you want to come around two years later and remember me now? Maybe he did forget, but I truly believe it was God bringing him into remembrance two years later. And so I don't know what that could mean, but maybe there's a, a grace to give to people when they forget. Because while someone has forgotten us, it's probably very true that we have forgotten someone too. Amen? Yeah. We could probably write a nice list of everyone we feel who has forgotten us or didn't respond in the time of our need. But if we look at someone else's list, it's probably very possible that my name is on that list at some point in their life. So what could be the wisdom that we can find just in meditating on that? Maybe it's just being graceful when people forget because I know that them forgetting is not God forgetting. And God is still with us. And so two years later go by, and then we end up in chapter 41. And so what happens is this, is that Pharaoh in chapter 41, he then has some dreams that are troubling to him. He, Pharaoh, alone has two dreams in one night, and they're frustrating, they're bothering, they're weighing on him, and he goes to his you know, his wise men of, 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 in Egypt, maybe some uh, people that could... To interpret and stuff like that, but no one's able to tell him. And then the cupbearer realizes, and he tells Pharaoh, you know what? Two years ago when you were upset with me and the baker, you threw us into the prison at the captain of the guard's house. And there in that prison, I kind of came across this Hebrew dude. And um, me and the baker, we both had dreams, and we told it to him. And um, he told us what those dreams meant. He said that I would be restored and that you would take this guy, the baker's head. And yeah, there's actually a guy that interprets dreams. Sorry. 
And so in verse 14 of chapter 41, it says this, So Pharaoh sent for Joseph, and he was quickly, look, brought from the dungeon. When he had shaved and changed his clothes, he came before Pharaoh. Verse 15, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream, and no one can interpret it. But I have heard it is said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. And what does Joseph respond? I cannot do it. Joseph replied to the Pharaoh, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. So look at this. Joseph, again, is going to be in an opportunity where he could be in touch with Pharaoh's reality, but he's also in tune with God, knowing that the interpretation comes from God. He's not taking credit for the interpretation. He's not going to take glory for it. This is good for dreamers, too. When God gives us opportunities to appear before great men, and even though you might be gifted, even though you might be skilled, even though you might have a service that is able to bless someone, here Joseph is giving, look, he's giving the credit, he's giving the, the, the glory, he's giving the weight of who has this answer. He's giving it to God. And what does that do? It's helpful for the person realizing that it's not, so that Pharaoh doesn't think that he is the God of interpretation, so that he is the answer that Pharaoh needs. No, he's giving the credit to God as the answer. He's honoring God. Look, even in a good opportunity, well, this is what he did in a bad opportunity. He said, I'm not going to sin against Potiphar. I'm not going to sin against God, here in a good opportunity, he says, it's not I who have the answer. It is God who has the answer. So look, in all situations, good and bad, he's still positioning God where he needs to be. So when we're passing through opportunities that will lead us down the wrong thing, position God where he needs to be. But also when God is opening doors and positioning us before great men because of our gifts, put God where he needs to be. And then look, this connects for Pharaoh, who is giving the answer. So what is the dream? So Pharaoh now is going to tell Joseph what the dream is. So the first dream that Pharaoh has is that he's standing in front of the Nile, and there are these healthy, he sees seven healthy, thick, cows coming out of the Nile and grazing, like these, the, the word is used as these fat, healthy, you know, flourishing cows coming out of the Nile, and they're grazing right there on the reeds, and like, this is awesome. This is a good dream to have. I mean, this shows the fruitfulness. It shows the health. This shows the quality. It's just, you know, it's just, it's just representing the health of Egypt, these seven cows, right? But then in Pharaoh's dream, right behind them, coming up out of the Nile, are these seven ugly, lean, sick-looking cows, and they come up behind them, and you know what they do? They eat the seven healthy, strong, fat cows. And then Pharaoh wakes up, and he's like, oh my gosh, that's scary. What does that mean? And he doesn't, he doesn't know. In the same night, he falls back to sleep, and he has a second dream. In this dream, he sees seven healthy heads of grain growing from one stalk. So there's these seven heads growing from one stalk of healthy grain. Then he sees seven thin and burnt heads of grain sprouting up behind them, and the seven thin heads of grain swallow up the seven full heads. And then he wakes up again. And so it troubled him because he went to 
those in his kingdom that should have been able to, you know, find an interpretation, and no one can. So what does Joseph say? Well, he told them God will give him the answer, and then Joseph speaks to Pharaoh, and he says the two dreams are one in the same dream. He says, and look, and the reason why you had the same dream two times in one night is because God has firmly decided what he's about to do. And then he interprets both dreams. They mean the same thing. He says, Egypt is going to experience seven years of abundance. But then after that, seven years of a great famine are going to come. And look, the famine is going to be so severe that you won't even remember the seven years of fruitfulness that Egypt had. So those seven years are going to swallow up every memory, every grain, every meal, every abundance that Egypt had. This dream you dreamt twice because God has firmly decided this is what he's going to do. In other words, it's not going to change. There's nothing, look, there's nothing that Pharaoh is going to be able to do to start the abundance, look, and also stop the famine. So what, what do you do? What do you do when you, get, when you realize that there's nothing you can kind of do to alter what has happened or what is coming. What do you do? What do you do as a dreamer? What do you do as a dreamer who's trying to interpret what is happening? And so this is absolutely fascinating what takes place. Joseph could have said that's what the dream means and crossed his arms and said, good luck, Pharaoh. Enjoy seven years of prosperity, and I'll be praying for you and us <laughs> and the seven years that follow after that. No. Look what Joseph says. Now, God gives Joseph the interpretation of, the, of those dreams, but then look what happens in verse 33. Joseph responds to Pharaoh, and now let Pharaoh... Look for a discerning and wise man and put him in charge of the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh appoint commissioners over the land to, look, take a fifth of the harvest of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. They should collect all the food of these good years that are coming and store up the grain under the authority of Pharaoh to be kept in the cities for food. This food should be held in reserve for the country to be used during the seven years of famine that will come upon Egypt so that the country may not be ruined by the famine. The plan seemed good to Pharaoh and to all his officials, and that plan seems good to me too. So Pharaoh asked them, can we find anyone like this man, the one in whom is the spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. And Pharaoh took off his signet ring from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in robes of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck, looking like Mr. T right now, and he had him ride in a chariot as his second in command, and the people shouted before him, make way. Thus he put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. 
what? He interpreted the dream. Seven years of abundance are coming. Seven years of famine are coming. And there's nothing to change that. And there's not. There are seven years. Hear this. There are seven years of abundance. Look, and there are seven years of famine. However, you can act wisely with what you cannot change. I want you to know, there are seven years of abundance. Nothing can change that. And there are seven years of famine, and there's nothing that can change that. But a difference could be seen in which you can't change if you learn to be wise in how you handle what is unchanging. Nothing's going to change. God gave the dream twice. He has firmly decided. Seven-year feast, seven-year famine. However, it does not mean that you cannot process what's in front of us, that we can't look at what's there and make the wisest decisions that will help us survive and even flourish. One of the questions as a pastor that gets presented to me and, and, my, and my wife, and I'm sure maybe to you too, someone, look, someone that you saw was sad, you stopped and you, you noticed that they were downcast, and then they, they tell you, what's really going on in their life, look, that they can't change. And sometimes, right, when we sit down and we listen to people, we hear about moments of abundance and when things were, were going well. And then we also tend to hear when we pause and we sit with people, you will hear of the things that have gone wrong that, that, that they can't change. Or you'll hear what's in front of them. It's like, wow, that's a tough situation. And so over the years, sometimes you feel this pressure. Well, I got to say something from God to them right now. And if you're not careful, you give them a word that God's not even given you. Oh, don't worry. God says he's going to do this and that. This has become a bad habit of preachers and pastors and leaders where someone tells you something, you know, tragic, look, that they can't change. And then we just feel pressure to speak on behalf of God and give them an answer that maybe God's not even saying. And the truth is, what they're going through, it's very possible. God has firmly decided. They've had some abundance. Now they have some famine. He has decided that. So what is the solution to them? What do we tell people when there's something that cannot be changed, that maybe it's very possible? God has ordered. Do you just tell them, hey, good luck? I don't know. Walk away. Do you give them a false prophetic word of hope that's not true? One of the greatest things that... I have come to learn, and this was, we did a series years ago, years ago, when we were in this building, and the series was called Uncommon Sense. Uncommon Sense. And, 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 and the heart behind the series was this, is that common sense is no longer common. <laughs> and so then, what is common sense? Common sense is applying wisdom to what's in front of you. Okay, apply, apply wisdom to what's in front of you. Like, oh, and once you do that, oh, then that makes sense. You ever looked at someone's life and then they're telling you it's a wreck and when you hear them tell, like, you can see why it's a wreck at times. It's like, well, homegirl, I really, really love you 
And I know you got a mess here, but a little bit of common sense would... <laughs> you don't need a prophetic word. You don't need oil on you. You don't need someone to put a mantle on the church and tell you that you're going to make it through in 2023. Look, what you need, homegirl, what you need, homeboy, is just apply a little wisdom. I need this answer for God. I can't... What you need is just to pause and, look, get some common sense, look, and use some wisdom. And look, applying wisdom will be the God answer. <laughs> applying wisdom will be the God answer. But pastor, in front of me, there's A and B, and there's even a C now, and I don't know which one to choose. I'm praying for God to show me, a, give me a dream. And let one of them just stand out. I mean, I just need one of them to grow in a dream, and then I know which one to pick. I don't know to go left. I don't know to go right. I don't know to go forward. I don't know to go back. You know, sometimes the God answer is for you to look at those things, apply wisdom, and say, this one's not going to function, right? This one's going to function like this. This one's going to turn out like this. This one out of the three seems most fruitful. Choose that one. Like, but no, I want God to speak to me and tell me what I should do. God speaking to you is you sitting down and using wisdom. But pastor, you are the chosen one. You are the anointed one. You are the angel of the church. Just tell me what God is telling you to tell me for my life. Use wisdom. The book of Proverbs. Like we know Solomon, right? He, he's got Proverbs in there, but there's Proverbs in there by other. And when you read them, it's the book of wisdom. They talk about Solomon having wisdom like no one has ever possessed. And you have writings from Solomon in there, and that's wonderful. And there's, there, there's, there's other things from other people, words of wisdom in there. When you read them, they're common sense. Go down this road and this bad, go down this dark alley, then the bad thing going to happen to you. In that dark alley, you're like, wow, God. Stick a fork in a socket, you're going to get electric. You're wild with wisdom. Yes, it's God, but it's just common sense, some of it. So look what Joseph does. You got seven years of abundance coming, and you can't change that. Look, you got seven years of famine that are coming. You can't change that. He looks at it, and he uses wisdom and says, when you got the seven good years, take a fifth from every year and save it because you can't change the famine. But then, look, you could take from this good place, have it in reserve, use wisdom, and then, look, you could, be, you could survive here. <laughs> yes, God gave the interpretation, but Joseph gave the wisdom. There's a part that God released from heaven, and there is that part where we have to be in tune with God because some things are only going to come from God. But just because God drops an interpretation out of heaven doesn't mean that now he's going to tell you what to do in every single decision of your life. Use wisdom. Some of us are standing still right now, not moving, been stuck for seven years waiting for God to say something, and what God wants you to do is use wisdom. The book of Proverbs says that wisdom is in the streets crying out. Crying out, crying for us to lean into wisdom. Use your best judgment in those situations. And so what ends up happening, he sees that Pharaoh says it, he goes, where can I find a man wise like this? I mean, he literally told me the interpretation of the dream and he said that came from God. But now he just told me the plan that will allow us to survive 
Where, why am I going to waste my time now searching, asking someone what to do? He started out. And so then he puts Joseph not just in charge of that project, but to the point he puts him second in command in all of Egypt. And the ring and the chain and the fine clothes and the chariot is so that when Joseph, look, when Joseph is driving through Egypt, when he's walking through Egypt, when he's going from city to city, that he is, look, he is standing as Pharaoh before the people. You know what it is for Joseph to have a signet ring from Pharaoh? You know what the signet ring was? That thing had Pharaoh's name and his mark. Whatever he signs and seals and stamps, whatever, that's what it is. And there's nothing to change that. So Pharaoh said, I trust you because of, look, because of your wisdom, I'm entrusting you, look, to represent me before the people. Now, here's the question. Can God trust us to put a signet ring on? Can, can God put his signet ring on us? Dreamer? Visionary, can God put a, or are we the people that when we're in an unfavorable place, we're crying in the corner? No, God's not going to give a ring to the person who is crying in the corner. Oh, we the people, when someone forgets us and we're bitter for the next 10 years of our life, is God going to entrust that person with his ring of authority? When you're in an unfavorable place in your job, in your life, is God going to give you the signet ring to make decisions for the rest of the world? Or will God entrust the person who's looked trusting in him in all of those places? So what is wisdom doing? There are seven years of abundance, and there are seven years of famine. Using, look, using wisdom in this season will allow to store up so that when famine comes, you, you survive, right? But look, you surviving here is pre- preserving what you received here. So what does wisdom do? Wisdom is what preserves favor, right? Because these seven years of abundance for Egypt were favorable. But then those seven years are coming to an end. What is wisdom going to do? Wisdom is going to carry the favor over. Do you see that? I wonder how many of us, and I know how many times in my life where God was was blessing me, but the blessing, look, was short-lived because I didn't use wisdom to preserve it. A blessing from God, short-lived, because I didn't have wisdom to preserve it. Or God does have favor, and God's, you know, I don't know, releasing favor over your life. Well, here's the thing. Here's the truth. Favor from God won't outlive the pattern of bad habits either. The blessing of God will not outlive the pattern of a bad habit the abundance of God will be short-lived. Look, what a, what a pattern of, of refusing to apply wisdom. But what will preserve 
What will preserve that favor and that fruitfulness is going to be wisdom. Read you two verses from Proverbs. Proverbs 11, 14. Look, for lack of guidance, some translations will say counsel, or even, look, wise leadership. For lack of guidance, lack of counsel, wise leadership, nations fall. But victory, or some translations say, but success or safety, look, is won through many advisors. Wow. Lack of counsel, lack of leadership, look, lack of, look, getting wisdom, nations will fall. Egypt would have fell. But look, success, safety is won through many advisors. Look, for Pharaoh, he didn't have, look, he didn't even, he had the dream, but didn't have, a, didn't have an interpretation of the dream. He went to advisors and counsels for interpretation. He had a dream, they couldn't interpret it. But then he found Joseph. Look, someone who could interpret, but look, someone who could also apply wisdom. And look, Joseph's wisdom is what led to the saving of the kingdom of Egypt. It's what brought safety. It's what brought success. And so look, Pharaoh had someone more than himself to sustain the favor of those seven years that God was gracing Egypt with. Proverbs 15, 22 says this, plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. What does this also show? Some of us, when we go through things, we go through them alone. We don't, we don't seek God's counsel, and sometimes we don't seek the counsels of others. If there's anything that I learned in these 14 years of pastor and pastoring is have wise counsel around you. Look, trust others to interpret the dream that you're having. One of the most one of the most proudest things that, that happens to me when I see speak, people in this church speak on behalf of our vision. And there's nothing more beautiful when they're able to convey that vision even better than I have. It's a powerful moment when someone is to see your dream but also able to interpret it <laughs> even better than you. It's powerful. But that also only happens when you become vulnerable and you share. You share your dreams. You share your nightmares. You share your, your beautiful plans. You share your fears. And then someone's able to see that you're downcast and lean in so look, someone who's in tune with reality to see you, but also in tune with God to know that he's giving the answer, and then someone in tune who knows, I just gotta apply wisdom here. Now what I'm not saying is that, I'm not saying that God doesn't sometimes give the answer, but what do you do when God's not given the answer? That's what I hear more of. As a pastor, I just don't hear nothing from God and I prayed. I fasted and I still don't know and I'm, torn between the two. My advice as a pastor today is when you don't hear from God, use wisdom because God's given wisdom. And so look, it's still God. It's still God speaking. Look, he's put people who have wisdom, but I don't have it. I can't. He's put people around us. This is why it's also so important 
to not just come to church to sit here and hopefully that guy with the purple shirt preaches good today. Worship team did really good. That guy David on the drums killed it or Benji that guitar and surrender sounded really like a guitar and he's only got a piano and the girls sang great. Like, we don't just come to church for those moments. We don't just come to church for those moments. Look, God's put us in a council of people. And look, the favor is only going to be preserved over all of us together if we as dreamers are still in touch with reality, each other's reality, but that we're also in tune with God. And we know that answers and hope and faith come from him. And then look, when we don't hear nothing as a church, God hasn't said nothing prophetically to the church. What are we going to do? Just sit and die? No. As life is happening for all of us, we, we, we use wisdom. I can't tell you how many times people have texted me and said, giving me vis vision for the church. It's, oh my God, they're thinking of stuff and seeing stuff I didn't even see. So I want to stand up here and take no credit for all that God has accomplished through this church. God gave us the vision and people applied wisdom and this fruitfulness that we have. All honor and glory belongs to God. So you want to be a dreamer and be in the favor of God? We got to learn how to preserve. Look, how do I preserve that favor? How do, we, how do you preserve the favor of God over your life? Acting in wisdom. And I know that's not easy because you got to then sit down and you almost got to not game plan. It's not, but, but look, write something down and ask God to order your steps. Let me tell you this. God is also faithful that, look, if, you, if you're saying, God, I'm trusting you with this, I don't hear nothing from you, I'm going to make a decision, God has never let his child just walk themselves straight into hell. Okay? He's never not spoken when he's needed to, to save you. So, look, use wisdom, pick. You got A, B, C in front of you. Use wisdom. You go with C, saying, God, I'm trusting you on C. If this is wrong, then God, pull me back. I have heard testimony. Of, start walking. Start doing something. Use your brain, your hands. Go, and God will call you back. And then just turn around. Turn around and say, okay, God, that wasn't it. I got now B and A and B. Let's go. But walk forward in faith. Amen. This is how we preserve God's favor. Let's stand to our feet. Through Joseph, God preserved favor over Egypt. He became in charge of all those matters. And it's not that there was not a famine in the land of Egypt. There was. It's just so much wisdom was applied during the time of abundance that Egypt and through Joseph's leadership, he was able to sell grain to Egypt and to sell and provide grain for the nations and the countries around. And look, that blessed, preserved the health of Egypt but it also led to what God was doing in Joseph's life as we're gonna get into. So it's wisdom, people. It's wisdom. Sometimes we want the fast even answer from God. Just tell me, God, just tell me. 
And that's not allowing us to think. That's not allowing us to process the character of God. That's not allowing us to look at our lives and reflect on what God has done throughout the, the years for us and, and seeing him and then applying who he has been to us to uh, who he is right now in this. But this is what God is inviting us into, into his wisdom. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you today for your grace and your mercy. Father, I thank you so much, Lord, for allowing us to come into this amazing time together, Lord. We thank you for the building of this church, Lord. This building of this church creates a, a, a safe space. It's become a sacred space for us where we can experience you, Lord. Our heart is that it's always a place where we and you can dwell together. So thank you for blessing us. Father, right now, as we turn to you, Lord God, I thank you, Lord, for visions that you have given to people in this room. I thank you for people who have dreams that have come from heaven over them, Lord. Father, but we're all in this journey, Lord. We're all in pursuit, Lord. And Father, in this pursuit, I know that unfavorable things have happened, Lord. Undesirable places we have come into. But Father, we trust you and your word. God, I trust you, Lord, that you are with us. And I know that you are with them, Lord. So Father, today I pray, Lord, that in the moments when we don't hear from you, in those moments when we don't hear you telling us what to do or what is next, that, Father, we will lean into you and to your character, that we will lean into your scriptures, Lord, that we will cry out for wisdom, Lord, and seek you, Lord. I know you will not re refuse the one that is calling and seeking wisdom. So help us, Lord, with good discernment, Lord. Help us, Father, with good judgment, Lord. Help us to settle our minds to a place where we could see what's in front of us, Lord, and invite you into every decision, Lord God. Father, I also pray, Lord God, that we will become a family here, Lord, that then becomes counsel, becomes, Lord God, a, a leadership team, Lord God, where we can seek the counsel of others, Lord, in those times when we are downcast or confused, Lord. Father, I thank you for the Holy Spirit that unites us. Father, I thank you, Lord, for what you're doing and that you are with us. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. At this time, if there's someone in here that has never trusted in the Lord Jesus, or if there's somebody in this room right now that maybe they just turned a different direction, they're no longer trusting, today I want to invite you to come back to God, come back to the gift of his son, the gift provided by the shedding of blood on that cross. That blood covers a multitude of sins. So whether you're in this room or watching online, we wanna let you know that the price has been paid and you do not have to fix yourself to come. You do not have to get ready in order to come to God. But Christ Jesus provided the means for us to boldly come to him in our time of need. And so I pray that you hear the voice of the Father calling you and that you will know you can put your faith in him. The Bible tells us this, that we are saved by grace through faith. 
And all that you need to do today is put your faith in Christ Jesus. And that you then are saved. And it's not a work. It's not something you earn. It is not anything that anyone in this room has merited. It truly is a gift from God. None of us can boast. So today I invite you to come to him. There's no shame. The book of Romans tells us that there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. So if there's something that you're condemning yourself with or something that has you filled with shame that you're telling yourself that you're not ready, I tell you that that means nothing in comparison to the great work of the cross for you. The gospel is this, that God sent his son into the world not to condemn the world, but through him, the world would be saved. So you put your faith and your trust in him. You will be saved. Amen? If there's anyone that prayed that prayer, just lift up your hand so we could just acknowledge you. If there's someone that said, I put my faith, my trust in Jesus, or even if you watching online today or even at a later time, we celebrate you and we invite you to be part of the Dwelling Place Church. We have a beautiful family here that truly cares. We're not perfect. We're all on this journey into favor with God. But we thank God for you.